all you wonderful water dragons. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I'm one of your hosts, Kristen, and I'm joined by the also wonderful Sarah. Sarah, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing very well. I'm very glad to be recording today. I don't think I told you, Kristen, but I got hit with the COVID again last week. Oh, no. It was the most minimal case of COVID that you could possibly have. I had like one symptom for half of a day. Pretty much. But you still have to sort of quarantine. So I was working from home all of last week and including today. I go back tomorrow. But even for me, as the strong, strong introvert that I am, the working from home for the week and then going into the weekend and not being able to do any of the things that I had planned, I have not talked to anybody in so long. So it's so wonderful to see your face and I'm looking forward to getting to chat this evening. How are you doing? I am doing fairly well and I'm glad you're doing okay. That's definitely no fun. Um, But things are good here. It's still uh, a little toasty, Mm -hmm. but had a nice fun weekend with my daughter, played a lot outside, more swimming, of course. And that ties in to maybe a little bit of what we're talking about lots of water today. It sure does. So we know that your daughter is a water person. I'm curious, Kristen, are you much of a water person? Do you have a favorite water-based activity? Yeah, probably just plain old going swimming in a swimming pool. Okay, you like the the controlled water (laughs) experience? Yeah, I don't mind the ocean. I don't mind lakes or anything. Um, growing up, we were, you know, not too terribly far from Lake Michigan. So we did occasionally go to the beach, especially in high school. That was a cool thing to do is drive up to Michigan and go to the beach. But, um, my uncle had a pool and he lived just like five minutes from us. And so we would go over all the time to his pool. Sometimes we would ride our bikes to his pool. So summers were full of pool time growing up. So I would say that's probably my favorite. Yeah. Outside of the pool, would you say, though, lake lake over ocean? Probably, but just because I spent so much more yeah. time on Lake Michigan. Um, we took family vacations, you know, to Florida and things. So I never was opposed uh, to the ocean, except the one time that I did get stung by a jellyfish. <gasps> that wasn't awesome. No. But nothing against oceans. We just didn't have that experience very often. Um, But I I love ocean creatures. I love kind of the feel um, of the beach. Um, We're actually going to be taking a trip in a couple months to California, and that'll be my daughter's first experience with the ocean. So we're definitely looking forward to that. How fun. I am not a water person at all. I don't even enjoy swimming in the pool, to be perfectly honest with you. I agree with you. I think ocean life is fantastic and amazing and wonderful, and there's so much to learn about and explore there. I have zero desire to get in the water ever. Uh, I also grew up right by Lake Michigan, and we would go on occasion too, but even in that situation, I for me, it was much more about climbing the dunes than going into the water. I, I remember just a couple of occasional experiences going out on a boat or something like that. Not my thing. Don't really care for it. I lived in Naples, Florida for a little bit, like 10 minutes from the beach. I maybe went like three times in the year that I lived there. I just like, it's nice once you're there. Don't get me wrong. But again, I'm going to sit on the sand and read a book, take pictures of birds now is more what I would do probably. But yeah, I just, I have a healthy respect, let's say, for the water. I don't want to call it a fear. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of ocean life or anything. I just, I respect the power of water. Let's put it that way. That's fair. You know, I'm not a strong swimmer. I think water is stronger than I am. So I will just, uh, I'll just uh, appreciate it from a distance. That's totally fair. We're (laughs) this, I'm just learning um, 
uh, things about you. I'm scuba certified, so I have some experience going into the water, you know, with the animals. And that's really cool. I do not get to do it very often since I live in the Midwest, but um, I did go once. I went yeah? scuba diving once when I was in Australia in college, oh. and it was right on the edge of the Great Barrier Reef, but it was some sort of, I don't know the rules and exactly how it works, but I was with a, a group. It was a student volunteer trip, and we did a sort of two-week volunteer and a two-week ecotourism trip, and so scuba diving was one of the things that we did, but we weren't certified, so it was sort of like a lesson Mm -hmm. dive, so you went down with an instructor, and you could only go down so far, that type of thing, and I, it was so cool, like, I didn't have much of a fear then, partially because of the situation, and I was with a large group, and I wasn't sort of responsible for for all of the, sure. the safety things, you know what I mean? But, uh, and it, so it was cool. I'm glad to be able to do it. But I do remember when we came back up, one of the people in my group was like, you were squeezing my hand so hard <laughs> the entire time. So I must have been a little bit nervous, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. I'm grateful for the experience. But no, I just, zero desires, zero desire to get certified and do it on my own and that's okay too powerful which is what we're going to be talking about this evening is the power of water and how we harness that power to generate electricity for ourselves so stick around for our discussion on hydroelectric power folks welcome back we are continuing our energy series remember we're doing an energy series oh yeah i can't even remember how long it's been since we've done the last one but we have done a couple of other renewable energy sources Uh, in the past we've done really the two other big ones if you will we've covered wind and solar so tonight we're going to talk about water aka hydroelectric power aka hydropower, which is probably what I'll be using both because it's easier to say and it sounds sort of like a superpower. So mm-hmm. it's just a little more fun. Uh, that Like solar and water, again, water is a renewable energy source. But I don't know about you, Kristen, if it's just me, I don't feel like hydropower is as much in the conversation these days when it comes to talking about clean energy. I feel like in the news... You hear a lot about solar power. You hear a lot about wind. I feel like you don't hear as much about water. Do you feel like that's fair? Yes, I definitely agree. And I think it might stem for the fact that, you know, solar plants and and wind turbines are being continuously built. Mm -hmm. And so it's new structures that are popping up. Um, And from my neck of the woods, people get really upset because it takes up farm ground. And so we hear about it a lot. Whereas with hydropower, you're not often seeing new facilities being built. Now we'll talk about, you know, the impact of some of those facilities, but um, it's not quite as often as those other two sources. Yeah. And that is part of it, actually. Yeah, that's a good point that I didn't really think about as much. And of course, I didn't write it down, but I want to say that most of hydropower here in the United States is limited to like five states. I think like Washington, Oregon, California, uh, and then a couple others I can't remember. Sorry, but I but I think you're less likely to have seen it depending on where you live. And then yeah, I think the other two, the solar farms and the wind farms, we're seeing them pop up a lot more. Those are growing uh, energy sources, and hydropower has been around for so long. We'll talk about that too in terms of how long are the uh, hydroelectric dams have been running in the United States. So I think it's just sort of maybe more familiar. And so it's 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 making the news less. I do also think that hydropower is maybe a little more debated in terms of its use as clean, quote unquote, energy. So mm-hmm. there's maybe, as compared to those other two, solar and wind, hydropower maybe has a little more downside to its environmental impact, which we're certainly going to talk about this evening. I use that term a little bit loosely because I do feel like it's a little bit 
apples to oranges sometimes as we're talking about these energy sources. Its downsides are just different uh, than than the other two, but I I think there are some that need to be addressed when we're thinking about hydropower. So globally, hydropower is the largest renewable energy source used, according to the International Energy Agency. Uh, back just a few years ago in 2020, hydropower supplied 17% of global electricity generation, which was the third largest source after coal and natural gas. So that's globally. Here in the United States, up until the past few years, I think, it was the largest source of renewable electricity still here. Uh, but in recent years, it's fallen to uh, second to to wind actually has now become the most common renewable source of electricity for us in the United States. In 2022, wind was about 10% of electricity production, whereas hydropower was about 6%. So still the largest globally, second for the United States. So let's talk a little bit about the basics of hydropower and how we use water to generate power. And basically, again, you think back to our fossil fuels, our non-renewable sources, it's all about burning things. So uh, burning those fossil fuels to produce heat, to produce steam, to turn the turbines, to power the generators, to give us electricity. So for hydropower, we're just using water to turn those turbines, to power the generators, to create electricity for us. So that's the basic of how it works. We're using the movement of water to generate that power. Um, And I think, Kristen, at least for me, I think probably most people, we probably have a very specific image in our minds when we think of hydropower. Is that true? Like if I were to say hydroelectric power to you, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? Really, all I think of is a big dam storing water Yep. Um, and I I don't know a lot about hydroelectric power, so that's all I think of. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been? Have you ever seen a, a dam have, or a hydroelectric power plant? Nothing have... of, of any scale. Yeah. I also think of like the big wooden wheels attached to like a mill. Yeah. When I think of hydropower too, which is very old school. Yes. But those are my two trains of thought. The big concrete dam holding water or... <laughs> old school wooden wheel on a mill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would agree with you. Yes, the, the, those are kind of the two images. And I have never been to or seen a dam or a hydroelectric power plant at all. I actually think of, have you ever watched The Fugitive? I have not. Oh, dang. Well, if you, if those of Is you that listening. my challenge? My challenge for the week? It should be. Yes. <laughs> it's a great movie. Harrison Ford. Come on now. But there's oh, a, a great scene in The Fugitive featuring a dam. And that's really what comes to mind for me. But uh, which is an interesting point, too, that actually a lot of dams there are a lot of dams that exist for other purposes as well. So generating power is not the only reason that a dam exists, which maybe people don't necessarily realize as well. But that is only one way, that sort of traditional dam that we might think of, that we get hydropower. So that type, when we're talking about dams, that's referred to as impoundment. And so basically those dams are storing water in a reservoir, which is that, that's kind of what we think of, um, that main image. And so then water can be released as needed to turn those turbines to generate electricity. So probably what most of us think of. But there are some other ways that we can use water to generate electricity as well. Another form would be diversion is is one term. I think this is also referred to as run of river generation. And that maybe gives you a little more description of what this is like. This is sort of using the natural flow of a river, but it'll channel some water away from the flow to go down this sort of pipeline or canal system to the power plant to turn the turbines and then go back into that main source. Kristen, there's a little diagram for you there to help picture that. If you put diversion hydropower into your search bar, that'll pop up some nice visuals for you too if you're listening and want a better idea of what that looks like. So it's it's using the natural flow of the river So we will talk about the overall pros and cons of hydropower 
in a moment, but just so you're aware as this sort of diversion system compares to impoundment, my understanding is that when you're talking about the difference between those two, this diversion channel system generally has less environmental impact, but not none. It shares some of the same environmental impacts as impoundment does. And it is a little bit less flexible as well. So you are using that natural flow of the river. You can't sort of turn it on and off and adjust the way that you can with some of these other systems. So just recognize that. And then the third main type of system to talk about with hydropower is what's called pumped storage hydropower, which wasn't a thing that I was super aware of, but is is kind of interesting. It uses two water reservoirs at different elevations, and it can basically function like a battery to store extra I mean, what it's actually doing is is storing the water, but it can be so water is basically pumped from the lower reservoir into the upper reservoir during periods of high energy supply and or low energy use. And then it's released from that higher reservoir later to generate energy. And if you think back to our intro to energy episode, we talked a little bit about how that's the the electric grid has to match the power being generated with the power being used, which is still just crazy to me uh, how that works. But so this is a a very flexible thing that is able to sort of store and release energy as needed by via pumping and releasing of the water. So that's kind of the basics of hydropower. And when you talk about hydropower, you also have to kind of talk about the size of the system. And this is, I, I found this layout from a an old document, a 2004 document from the Department of Energy, but it laid things out pretty nicely. So you have your large hydropower systems. That's mostly what we're talking about when we're talking about the environmental impact are these large systems. Definitions vary, but the Department of Energy defines large hydropower as facilities that have a capacity of more than 30 megawatts. And just for reference, I looked it up and according to ecowatch.com, a single megawatt is enough to power 1.2 months of power for an average United States home. That is just, just what I was going to ask for you. you. <laughs> Reading your mind. It, you know, it has been a minute since we've released an energy episode. And it's been oh, a little while since I've taken any sort of science class. Yeah, so it's all still. megawatt number meant nothing. So thank yep. you for putting it into context. You bet. Uh, so small hydropower systems, again, d- different definitions, but... According to the Department of Energy, these are ones that have a capacity of about 100 kilowatts to 30 megawatts. And then you have your micro hydropower, which has a micro hydropower plant has capacity of up to 100 kilowatts. A small micro hydroelectric power system can produce enough electricity for a home, farm, ranch, or village, according to this document. And if you're interested, we will link a site from, again, from our energy.gov here that tells you how to do this on your property. If you have running water, like a, I mean, not like plumbing, you know what I mean? If you have a a stream or whatever that has enough of, of moving water on your property that you can do this, there are instructions. I think that would be so lovely. I wish that I had a a stream running through my property to generate my own hydropower. That is so cool. And I also just found a site, and we can also link it, with a nice map of hydroelectricity generation by state from last year. So we were just a little bit ago talking about, you know, which states provide the most. And it looks like Washington and Oregon, because that's where the the big um, dams and things are. But then a little bit less than that is California, Montana, Alabama, and New York. Thank you. Yeah, but there are must be some smaller plants all over the place because almost every single state has some uh, coloring to it. So this yeah. is a nice color-coded chart. Um, and the only... Unless I'm reading it wrong, the only state that I don't see colored in is Mississippi. So all the other states produce some amount 
of hydropower, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, pop that in the outline here, Kristen, and we'll definitely link that in the show notes for you all to take a look at too. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump in and talk about the pros and cons of hydropower. Number one being, as we mentioned, that this is a renewable energy source. We like things that are not going to run out. I did put a little asterisk about uh, by renewable, so we'll come back to that in a minute. But in general, this is a pro of hydropower. It's also considered to be a pretty affordable source of power, which is important for the sort of logistics of getting these things to happen. Uh, And then we also talked a little bit about flexibility when we talked about the different types. So again, according to energy.gov, some hydropower facilities can quickly go from zero power to maximum power and hydropower plants can kind of get power to the grid immediately, basically. So they are really helpful kind of backup power during electric, like major outages or disruptions to the grid and that sort of thing. So they are important from that flexibility standpoint. And then, of course, one of the big reasons that we are doing these energy series to begin with is to talk about these cleaner options. We need to clean up our electric grid, and we know that our fossil fuels are terrible when it comes to emissions generation. So that's obviously a huge advantage of hydropower along with wind and solar is that no emissions are generated during energy production. Obviously, there's still a cost to build. Dams do tend to have long lives, about 50 to 100 years or so. And so overall, the balance is still positive when it comes to emissions. We will still talk about some of that emission generation with our disadvantages or our challenges, let's say, to hydropower. So Kristen, off the bat, are you familiar with some of the disadvantages or now that we've talked through some of those systems, does anything come to mind in terms of the disadvantages or challenges to using hydropower? Yes. When I think of a disadvantage, I immediately think the construction of a new dam. So not only possibly the emissions or you know non-sustainable materials being used to build a new facility. But I also think of like the change in land use. So, you know, what was that area beforehand? Um, Are you removing habitat? That kind of thing. So that's kind of where my brain goes. Yeah. And I think I, for a long time, didn't really understand. I'm quite honestly, probably still don't fully have a good picture of the extent that these dams are changing the land around them. It's not just the dam itself. It's the rec- the creation of these reservoirs that are holding the water. And all of that has environmental impact. So the location and how these dams are built have to be a really important consideration as we move forward with hydropower. And Kristen, do you remember this at all from a few years ago? So you and I worked together along with Casey. One of the things, the, the animals that we talked about a lot were orangutans. And a few years back, there was the discovery of this new third species of orangutan, the Tapanuli orangutan, which was so cool. Again, is an existing population, so it's not like we discovered these whole new animals, but genetically we learned and were able to determine that this was actually a third separate species, which is both cool, but also immediately like, oh my goodness, this is a tiny population for this new species of animals now. So an extremely endangered species and they're being threatened by the creation of a, uh, of a hydropower plant. Do you remember this at all? So I definitely remember when this was kind of announced since it was such a big part of our jobs. So it was a very exciting um, time, but I do not remember the conflict um, with hydro plants. So um, this is bringing up maybe some some buried memories. Yeah. And try as I might, I couldn't find anything super recent on this. The last article that I found was from 2020. So I'll continue doing some more research between the time that we record this and and the time that we put it out. So certainly if I find anything more, I will share it via our social media sites and or include it in the show notes if I get to it in time. But basically the gist of it is 
environmental folks are pushing back against the creation of this plant. So the last that I had heard about it, it was under a multi-year delay. The article from 2020 is saying that it might be delayed until 2025 uh, because of a lot of issues, it sounds like, that are, are going on with construction. But a lot of conservation folks are getting involved, including the IUCN species survival groups uh, for primates. So a lot of scientists who have dedicated their lives to the study of primates have been looking at this situation and poking holes in some of the information that this company trying to build this dam has put out there and, and citing some of the instances where they've misrepresented information about how this dam would impact the environment. So again, last I heard, still delayed, but I'll I'll work on getting some information. But that's just one example of where, yes, we as environmentalists, as conservationists, we want to work on cleaning up the power grid. And so in some respects, all for hydropower, but the location of these dams is so important. So that's just one example. They were looking at, you know, the area that this reservoir would be placed and all of the land that would be flooded to create this reservoir and looking at, you know, the fact that orangutan nests had been found in this area that was going to become part of the reservoir and, and things like that. So those are yeah. definitely things that you have to take into consideration. And also another thing that I didn't realize was how the, the creation of these dams changes the water quality. So I sort of just hmm. think in my head, you know, what's the big deal? We're storing water, we're releasing water. It's all part of the, you know, the cycle. But whether you're talking about the, the dam or that uh, the sort of diversion method, you still have to create structures in that diversion method and you're still changing the flow of water and the amount of water coursing through that natural pathway, if you will. So you're changing things like the sedimentation in the water, the flow of nutrients in the water, water temperature is changing, mm -hmm. and that also changes the rate of evaporation of water in these systems. So there are actually a lot of potential changes to the water itself as a habitat, even thinking outside of the construction of the materials and the loss of habitat to the reservoirs. I never would have thought about that. And I deal with water quality all the time at work, but I never really would have made that connection. And it's because I feel um, so kind of displaced from this method right. of generating electricity since we don't have a very large plant near where I live. Right. Um, but yeah, those are all big concerns. I imagine also the uh, percent oxygen in the water would also change. That wasn't on your list, but I can imagine since you're causing so much movement um, that that would change. And that is also um, a factor that determines, yeah. you know, what can live in the area, how much oxygen is in the water. So, hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, something to be thoughtful of for sure. And then, of course, in addition to the habitat loss for animal life, we think about the displacement of people as well. So, again, both with the flooding of the land for the, the creation of reservoirs and potential impacts downstream as well, an estimated 80 million people have been displaced globally due to dams. Wow. Did not realize that. And That's impacts, yeah, impacts can range from anything from, ironically, somewhat poor water quality in the area, then immediately surrounding the dam, loss of cultural identity. These are maybe often more rural locations that are getting impacted here. So people actually getting displaced from maybe their villages and having to move to other areas and dispersed where they no longer have access to each other and sharing their culture, often impacting indigenous folks here in the United States as well. So the the impact to people is large as well. And again, we know that's all connected, humans and the environment, conservation. So again, just needing to be extremely thoughtful about where we're utilizing these things. 
And then let's talk about emissions as well, because we said, again, huge, huge, huge advantage to hydropower is that there's no emissions during the actual production of energy. But we know that there are emissions generated for uh, construction of the materials, right? True, again, of every power source, if you are building a coal plant, you're going to have emissions in the construction of that plant, right? And then on top of that, you're going to have emissions throughout the entire generation uh, of energy the entire time that that plant is running. For hydropower, you're only going to have those emissions associated with the building. But we know concrete is a big source of emissions as well. We did an episode on that that you are welcome to go back and listen to if you haven't heard it. Can somewhat cyclical here because, uh, once again, not a problem that's ex exclusive to hydropower. But also one of the things that we talked about in that concrete episode is that part of the process of greening concrete is cleaning up the electrical grid. So there you go. In some sense, creating hydropower plants is going to maybe help to reduce the uh, emissions overall of concrete and, and construction down the line. So we'll see, but just something to note there. But interestingly, again, just a thing that I hadn't thought about, concrete is not the only source of emissions uh, or the, the construction of, of the plant or the dam or whatever is not the only source. Those reservoirs as well, the creation of the actual reservoirs. So when these reservoirs are built, plants get flooded. We're flooding a whole lot of organic material. And as this material decays, that releases greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane. Apparently, there hasn't been a ton, a ton of research, although there has been some um, to how much emissions these are, are generating. And basically, it's just it really depends. I was reading one study and I'll try to find it again every time we do these episodes. I don't want to write everything down, but then I get to talking about it and I'm like, dang, I should have written it down. Um, so I'll, I'll try to find the article again and, and link it. It was not a huge percentage of the reservoirs that were studied that had higher emissions, but some of them did actually, according to the studies that they were doing, have higher emissions compared to some non-renewable energy sources. But again, not a lot of them, and basically it, it just varied widely. Now, one thing to clarify here is that that's not overall. Nobody's trying to say that hydropower produces more emissions than fossil fuel energy in general. Just that some of these reservoirs produce more emissions than maybe we realized is is basically what this study was saying. So we do have to be thoughtful. So on the broken record, but location, 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 where you're doing this matters. And I think the studies are important so that we can learn more about that to know better where to place these things in the future. And again, this, this study was done by the Environmental Defense Fund, not saying that we shouldn't use hydropower anymore. That's not what they were trying to get at. Again, it's just about being more thoughtful and understanding more about the emissions of our energy sources as we move forward so we can make the best decisions. A couple other things to keep in mind with hydropower in general is that they are, of course, dependent on the water cycle. And what we're seeing with climate change is differences to where water is ending up throughout our water cycle. So because of climate change, heavy droughts, the way that we're using our water, that can impact how much water is available, which changes the amount of electricity that these hydropowers, hydropower plants are able to produce. And that's why I asterisked that renewable. Of course, it's a renewable source of power. We know that water moves through a cycle, but we need water to be available in the right place in the cycle, basically. And a lot of different things impact that. So that does change how much energy we're able to produce at a given time through these plants. Does that make sense? It does. And I mean, as I was reading through this outline, I mean, you brought up a lot of things that I wouldn't even have thought of. 
And kind of building off that point you just made, I found an article that was just talking about one very, very large dam in particular and the fact that it's going to need maintenance soon Mm. and there's not currently a budget to perform the maintenance. And so they're going to have to figure something out there in order to make sure that there's no sort of leak or anything like that. And then it also had mentioned kind of a little bit about what you just said is that climate change has kind of put stress on dams because you have changing rainfall patterns and more extreme weather events. Um, It kind of puts more stress on the structure when you have like a bunch of large rain events that you haven't had in the past and and they're happening more often. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So, you know, fixes to these large structures can be expensive. So it has to kind of be worked in to the budget in order to make sure uh, the maintenance is kept up. Because uh, like you had said, this can be a a good option that will last a very long time, but you just kind of have to keep up with it to make sure it's functioning at um, the greatest capacity. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's a good point. And again, not something that I really even thought about too much as I was reading through this because I had read how long the lifespans were for these facilities. I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But actually, in that article that you shared, it sounds like at least here in the United States, if not globally, a lot of these dams are starting to get up there in Mm -hmm. years. So definitely being able to plan for maintenance and figure out which facilities should be decommissioned, which facilities should be repaired and all Mm -hmm. of that. It's going to be an important consideration going forward. Yes. And lots of engineering goes into that. And I I couldn't answer those questions on on what should be decommissioned. Yeah. Yeah. What should, should not, but I'm sure there are plenty of wonderful engineers out there that can work out all yeah, those. Thankful for them. Yeah. Thank you, engineers. Yeah, for real. Uh, it's amazing. It's every time we do an episode, I'm just amazed by all of the things that there are, there are to learn out there. And I also just have to say at this point, because I feel like we spend so much time talking about the cons. Again, I think that hydropower is part of the future of clean power for sure. That's why, honestly, I feel like we have to spend so much time talking about the cons is these are the things that we need to address. We understand sort of inherently why this is a good option. Now let's look at why it's not a perfect option because there's no such thing as a perfect option. But let's look at these negatives. Let's look at these drawbacks. Let's look at what we have not done well in the past and see if we can figure out how to make it better. So with that, the future of hydroelectric power, I do think that it's important. I'm starting to see it back in the conversation a little more as we try to figure out how we are going to beat emissions goals and clean up our electric grid, both here in the United States and globally. Steps have been taken to try to lessen the impact of hydropower on the environment. Some sort of general things that we didn't really mention so much in our our cons, but just ways that you've probably seen or heard about anyway in terms of animal impact. You've probably seen fish ladders before. Um, That's, I think, one of the big things. Again, we're sort of changing the way that water is flowing. So fish needing to get upstream, these facilities can be an impediment to them. So creation of things like fish ladders to help fish get to where they need to go. Uh, And that includes making safer turbine blades as well to reduce fish mortality because of the blades. So those are things that have been worked on. And we hopefully have learned how to be uh, better at planning these facilities and in operating these dams. So a couple of things that I came across in some articles that I was reading, again, we'll have lots of different articles linked in the show notes for you, uh, but they say, and, and this feels like common sense to me, but they say that the region that you're looking to provide energy for, they should be evaluated for existing dams that could be reconfigured to supply the additional power needs Instead of building building new dams, what a great idea! Let's well, yeah. look and see if there's construction already available to us that can solve our problem. Check, I love it. Uh, and then, secondly, let's look at the ecology. Basically, rivers should be studied for their ecological characteristics, including flow regimes. Don't even really know what that means. Nutrient and sediment loads and fish migration patterns. New dams should be placed in ways that favor those attributes. 
again, check. Let's do it. But I don't mean to be flippant about it. You know, I think these are things, again, these dams have been around for a long time. We're learning a lot about how we are impacting the environment. So now that we know better, let's do better and make sure that we are looking at those things thoroughly before we build any new facilities. Yes. One of my favorite phrases, you know better and you do better. Yeah. All right. So Kristen, we've talked about these three sort of main types of hydropower, but we've left out a a big source of water. So if we're thinking about our beautiful planet, what is the major source of water or the major location of water on our planet that we haven't talked about at all? We've not really talked about oceans, except for that time I got stung by a jellyfish. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Other than how you got stung by a jellyfish and I'm terrified of the ocean, we haven't really talked about it at all. Um, But this is a potential source for energy for us in the future. So 97% of the Earth's water is in the ocean, which is a crazy, crazy stat if you really think about it. So there's a few ways that we might be able to slash do already generate energy from the ocean. And one that I think is very interesting is waves. Again, I referenced in the beginning, it is the power of water that actually scares me. And you sit on the beach, you watch those waves crashing up on the shore. That's a huge amount of power uh, in the, in those oceans. So this is from, okay, the, there's, so there's the EIA and the IEA are two different things. So this is from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. And they say mm-hmm. the theoretical annual energy potential of waves off the coast of the United States alone is estimated to be as much as 2.64 trillion kilowatt hours or the equivalent of about 64% of total U.S. utility scale electricity generation in 2021. That was the total. So huge potential, not something that is being done at all right now. So this is a a research stage thing. Um, This is experimental. This is not likely to be a huge player in energy production soon. And of course, I I say all this because it is experimental. I mean, I'm sure I don't even know exactly how this would work, but there would certainly be a lot of potential for environmental impact here as well. So who knows? (laughs) It's just the, the point is that there's a lot of power there and a lot of potential. So it's certainly something to think about. Something that is currently in use, I don't think at all in the United States, but in some parts of Europe, and I think Canada as well, don't quote me on that, uh, but it's something called, I hope this is how you say it, Tidal Barrage, B-A-R-R-A-G-E. Hmm, no idea. <laughs> it was not something I was familiar with until, ironically, a couple weeks ago, it came up in something that I was researching for work. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I had to include it when we were talking about hydropower here, but this is basically a system that is installed across an inlet of an ocean bay or lagoon that forms a tidal basin. And then they have sluice gates basically on this structure that control water levels and the flow rates to allow the tidal basin to fill during high tide and to empty through this turbine system when the tide is leaving. So basically it works with the tides and it sounds like maybe there's both where you can either generate power like as you're letting the water go out or there are two-way tidal power systems that you can generate power from both the water coming in and the water going out. Hmm. It kind of sounds to me like a dam, but you're using the natural tide to... Sure create that flow basically instead of holding the water and then letting it escape to turn the turbines so that makes sense to me honestly um but of course they do have an environmental impact as well so just like we talked about how these dams can impact the aquatic habitat these tidal barrages can do the same thing they can change the tidal level in the basin which increases 
turbidity, sort of the amount of material that's suspended in the water. Uh, and they can also affect things like navigation and recreation, but they do have an impact on the environment. And what I was reading about for work was an impact on the environment that was affecting like species of ducks and things like that. So there is still a habitat impact. So just like with our other types of hydropower location risks, all of that need to be taken into account. Um, but the, oh, there we go. I did write it down. So these are in, uh, in operation. These tidal barrages are in operation in South Korea, China, Russia, and Canada. I do believe in some European countries as well, I think is what I was reading about, but I didn't write that down. So just a couple of examples for you. I don't think that ocean power is anything that is is going to be a recent or a soon to be a player for us, but just kind of an interesting aspect to think about. And also, again, it was interesting for me to learn the ins and outs of hydropower like the other ones that we talked about. I don't think this is anything earth shattering. I think we understand that there are some important environmental benefits. There's also some important environmental costs. It's important to be honest about those too, uh, and just figure out how we can work this in as part of our overall system. All right. That's what I got for you. Kristen, anything to add before we jump to our wrap up? I am overwhelmed with information right now. Oh, this boy. has been fascinating. And to be honest, I think it has been more interesting even than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be interesting. So I, I'm just really thankful for this episode. And I thought it was really neat. Good. I feel like I just threw a lot of stuff out there and, I'm, you know, there's more to be shared about basically everything that we touched on. So perhaps we'll do more on this in the future. But yeah, hopefully that was eye opening for some of y'all out there listening too. hopefully you enjoyed it. Stick around and we will be back with our wrap up and challenges of the week. All right, friends, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed our conversation on hydropower tonight. Again, just like every other energy source that we've talked about, water is not a perfect energy source. People are going to have different opinions about what we should do, what we shouldn't do when it comes to our energy choices. There are going to be environmental costs to everything, but that does not mean that we can't make them work in some capacity. I think that hydropower is still going to be a large player in the electricity generation into the future. Although, again, like we said, it's been overtaken here in the United States by other renewables, and I think that is expected to continue into the future as well. But hydropower is still important as a renewable, flexible energy source for us. So things to consider for the future. With that in mind, challenges for the week. Challenge number one, Kristen, you have helped us out with, I feel like, uh, immensely. So um, number one is going to be to check and see if there are any hydropower projects near you, whether that means existing plants or like we were talking about at the end with our ocean power, if there are any sort of research projects happening near you as well, which I did find a source on and then I can't find it again. So I'll try to put that in the notes <laughs> if I find it again. But also you can kind of just do your own research uh, a little bit and see what's going on near you. Challenge number two is a little more practical or utilitarian, if you will, and that is to look at your water usage from previous months, check out your utility bill, and then see how well you can kind of track or monitor your water use throughout the next month. So whether you want to kind of audit yourself for a month and just sort of monitor, and then the following month, see if you can reduce or just look at your previous usage and throughout the next month, go ahead and see where you can cut. But we talked about this episode, how even though water is a renewable resource, our usage of it changes where water is available. And it's important for us to have water available, not just for things like hydropower, but for all life on earth, we need to make sure that we have good quality water in our lakes and rivers and streams and our usage impacts that. So tracking and monitoring and trying to 
cut our usage where we can is going to be beneficial for the environment all around. So figured it was fitting while we were talking about hydropower to think about our own water usage. Excellent challenges. And I definitely need to look at the first one and see where there are projects near me. Because according to that map, there are some in my state. So I need uh, to do the homework this time. I want to travel to a plant. I want to visit Field trip, a little greener field trip. Yes. Mm -hmm. We need to go on tour. Let's pick one. (laughs) Let's pick a spot somewhere in between us and then we can meet. Sounds good. And do live from. Oh my gosh, live shows. I love it. Can we make merch too? Guys, who wants to come to a live show? (laughs) Uh, Only if it's eco friendly merch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening. Once again, hope you enjoyed. If you do have any questions about any of this, if there's any topic you want us to delve into further, if you have any other suggestions for topics beyond this, if you want to reach out to us for any reason, there's lots of places that you can find us. We are all over social media, we're on Facebook. At a little greater podcast. We are on Instagram at a little greater pod. We are on Twitter, which I guess really isn't called Twitter anymore. I thought I was making a joke last time and then realized that the app had actually changed on yeah. my phone. Mm-hmm. So we are still there right now. Again, probably not the best place to reach out, but you can find links to our episodes there if nothing else. Actually, I don't even know if you can. Oh, no. I'll have to check and see if it's still linked or not. Don't tweet us. Don't Don't tweet tweet us right now. Is it still called a tweet? Oh, gosh. We have some research to do. Skip that one for now. Stay tuned. You can also find us on YouTube at a little greener podcast, and you can listen to episodes there and use the automatic captions if that is helpful for you. Easiest way to get in touch with us, as always, is by email where you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. But again, Facebook, Instagram, for sure, as well. You can feel free to reach out and follow us there. This has been awesome. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah, um, for the wealth of knowledge that you you gave us. And, and just a starting point, of course, but I, I have learned a lot this evening. So thank you so much. Of course, although this does feel like a good time to remind people, again, we are we are not experts in this. I don't have any education in energy sources or anything like that. We are just a couple of people who care about the planet. We enjoy learning about it, and we try to share what we learned with you all. So hopefully you all learned something. And again, Kristen... Thanks for chatting with me. It felt so good to talk to another human and see (laughs) your face. So uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. 